Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, my name is Sandy. I'm 27. Uh, I started listening to your podcast um, when I started seeing somebody with BPD and realizing I myself might have BPD. My partner thinks I could have BPD. My mom thinks I have BPD. It's something I'm exploring. So I started listening to your podcast to get coping mechanisms because life is really overwhelming. I basically stopped drinking, which I'd been doing like you know, six plus beers a day to regulate my like chaos of emotions. And now that I've stopped that, I've just found everyday life really overwhelming. So your podcast has been a huge help. And listening to your podcast on um, healing the mother wound, like a couple hours after I, I had this flashback to something I blocked out many, many years ago. Um, so I just want to say, like, you have helped me so much in such a little time, and I'm so grateful for what you do. So thank you so much for all of your content and the time you put into things, and I appreciate you. Hi, Molly. This is Erica, your premium submarine from Mississippi. I am just calling with a bit of good news. Um, I think I am safely at the point where I can say that I have successfully gone down by half uh, my dose of my SNRI than what I was previously at, which is a really big deal for me because I have been maxed out on God knows how many different types of psych meds for the past eight years, but I am now completely off of benzos and at half the strength of my SNRI. Uh, which is a huge relief for me because I have an irrational fear that there will be some kind of apocalyptic event and I won't be able to get my psych meds. And then, you know, my family will leave me behind because I'll be a mess. But, uh, yeah, so big progress that has been 
you know, I know it was a lot of hard work on my part, but that hard work was just hugely inspired by your podcast and the content you put out. And I really just want to say how much I appreciate you. Thank you. Love ya. Bye. Hi, Molly. Uh, I'm Eamon. I'm uh, coming at you from Shanghai, China, originally from Colorado, but you know. Um, I'm a premium submarine, relatively new one for the past couple of months, and I've been uh, listening to your Toxic Shame series, and it's been very eye-opening for me because you've named a feeling that I think I was aware of but could never name. And I've been trying to find different ways throughout my whole life, through uh, alcohol, through relationships through uh, achievement. I was a, kind of a straight-A student and an overachiever the way you mentioned in the podcast. And through psychiatry as well, which I had a horrible experience with, um, as uh, I think you can relate. And I feel like now, al along with some other developments in my life, along with psychoanalysis and, and um, some some work on myself. This series has really opened my eyes, and I want to thank you for addressing this because I feel that you are one of the few people in kind of the the landscape who is really coming at this not with these kind of pat um, labels and snappy catchphrases, but from a real place of sincerity. So thank you. Welcome, returning listeners, and welcome back to new listeners. This is Back from the Borderline. I'm your host, Molly, and I don't want to talk to your personality. I want to talk to your soul. The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality, too. You can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power, you just didn't know that, but now you do. On this podcast, you will learn to view your symptoms as saviors, as alerts from your body, mind, and spirit that want to let you know when you're out of alignment with the deepest yearnings of your soul. From chaos comes clarity. Through working with and integrating the concepts we'll explore together, you will emerge transformed, standing in the ashes of the person you used to be. Unlike a lot of content out there these days, on this podcast, there is no finish line, no quick fix, no cure. There's no end outcome. There is only eternal unfolding. More than 50% of us will be diagnosed with a mental illness at some point in our lifetime. The medical model of mental illness tries to convince us that the root of our suffering is chemical imbalances in our malfunctioning brains and that the best we can hope for is to numb or suppress our emotional experiences into some kind of remission. This model seems to try to convince us to view our personalities or our emotional experiences like something in the medical model, like some kind of cancerous tumor that we can just remove or suppress into submission. But that's not how it works. But what if instead we viewed our symptoms as saviors? The definition of savior is one that saves from danger or destruction. 
through this new lens, we can begin to see painful mental health symptoms as natural responses that we can learn to become fully conscious of and slowly change. I decided to play a few more voicemails than I normally do this morning and also to do the longer version of my introduction to the podcast. Before we get into the interview with my very special guest today, I have to unpack with you some really groundbreaking news that will make a huge impact on the world of psychiatry, which will not be immediately known by the average everyday person. But for those of you who tune into my podcast and you're starting to have these awakenings yourself, I like my podcast to be the place that you can come for this new information that will eventually trickle into the collective as we're seeing now. About a year and a half ago, I made the very difficult decision with a lot of blowback in the beginning, quite frankly, to pivot my podcast away from being about what is known as borderline personality disorder or BPD because an inner activist was awakened in me. The more I researched about the creation of these psychiatric diagnostic labels, the more I researched into how these labels were created as well as the committee members and their incentives and the way that the DSM or the Diagnostic Statistical Manual is created in all of its different editions and how wrapped up in big pharma and how little scientific evidence there is behind any of these labels and how resistant the psychiatric establishment is to any kind of criticism, I started to scratch my head and ask myself some serious questions and then I began to dive into the world of spirituality, depth psychology, the work of Carl Jung, and also follow a lot more work by psychoanalysts. In other words, people who understand that mental health is not as easy to understand as the biomedical model of mental health that psychiatry has tried to force feed down our throats. And this week, some major updates came through. Now, if you are a long-term listener of the podcast, you will have seen this transformation of my work. And I selected these three voicemails because they're such beautiful descriptions of how people who have maybe felt that they were disordered or dysfunctional, when they actually started looking into their past, having hard conversations with themselves, learning about the concepts of toxic shame, the mother-father wound, and really just starting to go within and immerse themselves in my work and the work of my guests, they've started to undertake the very difficult work of emotional alchemy. It's a phrase that I don't think I've invented, but I use it here. I haven't heard it used anywhere else, but it is the belief that anyone can change anyone can grow. And by becoming more aware of epigenetics, of neurosomatic intelligence, trauma work, the mind-body connection, generational trauma, how so much of the pain that we've all endured is stored in this collective unconscious, how societally and culturally we are bombarded with messages that we're not good enough. Young people are exposed to being objectified and groomed online, many of us who were raised in the millennial and now the Zoomer generation. And 
we're starting to scratch our heads and go, hmm, maybe we're not disordered or dysfunction. Maybe this is a fucked up society devoid of meaning with no care for anything other than profits. Maybe that's what it is. And guess what? It's all coming out now. And I want to read you a little bit about this article that just came out from Mad in America. If you're not familiar with their work, Mad in America is a webzine. It's a nonprofit organization. And in their own words, their mission is to, quote, serve as a catalyst for rethinking psychiatric care in the United States and abroad. We believe that the current drug-based paradigm of care has failed our society and that scientific research, as well as the lived experience of those who have been diagnosed with a psychiatric disorder, calls for profound change. Their plan, based upon their mission statement on their website, is to provide scientific critique of the existing psychiatric paradigm, also bringing light to alternative approaches that could serve as the foundation for a new paradigm, one that emphasizes psychosocial care and de-emphasizes the use of psychiatric medications, especially over the long term. Because here's the thing, when you are even just an initial psychology student, I know this because I used to be one, you are told that our current approach in the West of mental health is supposedly a biopsychosocial model. But anyone who spent five seconds in the office of a general health practitioner or a psychiatrist knows that nine times out of 10, you walk out of that office with a prescription for a drug that you haven't been told how long you have to be on it, what the side effects are, and also if there are any other alternative methods that you could try first. It's just easier to throw you on a medication. And then what happens when you actually want to start talking about potentially coming off these drugs? There's no support to be found. Or if you are like one of the listeners who called into the podcast, Erica, she's horrified that there's going to be some kind of cataclysmic event where she wouldn't be able to access her psychiatric drugs. And while I'm not saying there isn't a chance that there could be a cataclysmic event, let's hope not, I experienced something of this nature, minus the Mad Max end of the world scenario. I lost my health insurance when I was on five different psychiatric drugs, including an SSRI. Erica says she was on an SNRI, but for those of you who aren't aware, SSRIs and SNRIs are different types of antidepressant medications, which there has been all sorts of stuff coming out about the long-term, I reiterate, long-term use of these drugs and their side effects, as well as the horrific side effects of long-term benzodiazepine use. Now, this is coming from someone, myself, who, when I was incredibly suicidal and was struggling with recurring panic attacks, I'm not going to lie, Xanax really helped me. But the problem was, medication was the only option I was offered. And I wasn't told about the side effects. I wasn't told how to wean off of them safely. I wasn't told even about how horrible I would feel when I went off of them cold turkey. I would never recommend anyone going off cold turkey. Notice how Erica in her voicemail says that she weaned off these medications slowly. And from what I presume to be guidance of a qualified medical practitioner, there are lots of amazing practitioners out there who are aware of these effects and can help you safely taper off these drugs. There are even psychiatrists out there that are great. This and anything I share on my podcast is never a black and white just shaming situation of all people who find themselves in the field of psychiatry. There are psychiatrists now who are advocating for 
change. But at the same time, unfortunately, corruption is often at the top and psychiatry is no different. This industry is corrupt to its core and doesn't want to redo its homework. But guess what? Now they're going to have to. And that gets me to Madden America's article that just came out this week. This article is written by Niall McLaren, and he's an Australian psychiatrist who's worked for 25 years in his field. And he dives into the philosophical basis of psychiatry, and his work has found that there is not a philosophical basis for psychiatry. And he's faced a lot of flack from his colleagues, but Niall is an example of a psychiatrist who is advocating for change in his field. And these are the voices I'm choosing to listen to right now. A few months ago, Time Magazine came out with an article saying, we've reached peak therapy. In other words, we are on more psychiatric drugs than we've ever been before collectively. We are having more therapy than we've ever had access to before ever. We have access to more information, free information about mental health online than we ever have before. So why are mental health outcomes so poor? And not only are they poor, they are worsening. So what we're doing isn't working. So the big news that Niall is sharing in this article is about now a potential clash that is about to happen that we are about to witness and i'll be reporting on it for you as i come up with new information because you won't be seeing a lot of this stuff in the mainstream media at least not now and at least not for a long period of time and when you do it will probably be filtered and manipulated in a way that all mainstream news organizations do the article is called the new world health organization and un guidance psychiatry must entirely change Niall writes, after years of work involving hundreds of people in dozens of countries, the World Health Organization, or WHO, I'm just going to refer to it as that now, and the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. So get this, folks. The World Health Organization, as well as the UN, as well as the High Commissioner for Human Rights, they have released a joint production, which is called Mental Health, Human Rights, and Legislation guidance and practice. It's just been released. And right now at the time of recording, this is November 18th, 2023. And this entire two hour and 11 minute legislative meeting of these bodies is up on YouTube for you to watch. And I'll be linking it in the episode description in case you want to watch the entire thing. And in addition to that, they have put out some other materials that you can find online. So I'll be linking to that. But I'll paraphrase it here for you because I'll say that this is the most important information I've disseminated to my podcast audience in a long time. And I have to say from a personal perspective, this is incredibly validating because I've taken a lot of flack for my pivot, but I knew in my heart that approaching people and trying to label people with personality disorder diagnoses and other disorder and dysfunction labels, I call them dis labels, it's not effective. And it is a man-made, quite literally, concept that tries to force us to believe that there's something wrong with us to stop us from having some serious questions about what's going on in the world around us and how people in general that just think and interact in the world differently 
are shamed and scapegoated and told that something's wrong with them. So the article continues, this outlines in considerable detail the current international legislative framework with which mental health acts in signatory nations need to comply and provides examples to show how each element of the law can be implemented and tested. At present, the foundation for international law is the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So in one statement of this information, the CRPD states that no person shall suffer any form of discrimination, loss of liberties, or infringement of rights by virtue of a disability, including quote-unquote mental disorders. There's no wiggle room in this. So chapter one of the guidance offered by these bodies is called Rethinking Legislation on Mental Health. And this chapter defines mental health, locating its preconditions in the individual's physical and social environment. In practice, however, this broad definition attracts little more than lip service. Around the world, mental health gets about 2.1% of government health spending, the majority of which is spent on institutions, you, you heard that right, and on physical care. Quote, this is from their guidance, this is what they've written. The biomedical model, which is what we've talked about, the medical model of mental health, the sham theory that psychiatry has tried to uphold stating that mental illness quote unquote is found in our brains due to chemical imbalances right so they write the biomedical model which focuses predominantly on diagnosis medication and symptom reduction prevails across existing mental health systems as a result social determinants that impact people's mental health are often disregarded in introducing the launch, the MC listed what he called three major mistakes that current national laws make regarding mental health. The emphasis on detention and involuntary treatment, the over-reliance on the biomedical model, and the failure to involve people with mental disorders in deciding their management. They are mistakes because each one is explicitly prohibited by the CRPD or betrays a serious misunderstanding of the nature of mental disorder. Thus, as these features more or less define modern psychiatric practice, it's clear that the international human rights community and institutional psychiatry are on collision course. So let's look into what they're trying to say here. Basically, these human rights organizations, the UN, the World Health Organization, they are basically saying that we're fucking up when it comes to mental health because we are involuntarily treating people. Like, for example, think about like people that find them a homeless person on the street being taken into a jail, completely restrained, being shot up with drugs against their consent, right? And then maybe being labeled with a personality disorder that they can never get off their record and it's going to make it a lot harder for them to maybe get custody of their children again one day if they ever want to change or maybe they have been raped their entire life and that's what led to them being on the street and then they're restrained and re-traumatized and labeled with a disorder label when in reality they are just one of the most vulnerable people on earth and have been traumatized and abused. They're basically saying we're fucking up. We are involuntarily committing people. We are over-relying on the biomedical side. In other words, only thinking about medication. We're not thinking about trauma. We're not thinking about you know other types of um, 
ways to view mental distress. We're not thinking about the root causes. We're just trying to suppress the symptoms. And also we're not involving people and helping that, giving them the free will to decide how they want to move forward. Psychiatry as a profession is complicit in so many different human rights violations and has been for a very, very long time. And now Niall is pointing out institutional psychiatry and human rights are now officially having a face-off. Section four of the introduction asks, why is the guidance important? And when we're referring to the guidance, this is this new documentation that these agencies, these uh, human rights agencies are putting together. It looks at a few different reasons, reaching some fairly blistering conclusions, writes Niall. So the first one is, quote, a fundamental shift is required within the field of mental health. There is an over-reliance on biomedical approaches to treatment options, inpatient services and care, and little attention given to social determinants and community-based person-centered interventions. Next, quote, most legislation on mental health fails to embrace a rights-based approach. Many people are not treated equally before and under the law and are often discriminated against. Legislation may be paternalistic. People are routinely deemed incapable of making their own decisions. No adequate mechanisms to prevent, detect, or remedy these and other human rights violations, i.e. standard mental hospital procedures, unavoidably violate human rights. Automatically, what comes up for me is like the case of Britney Spears, for example, like quite literally paternalistic legislation here, people being forced to take medications against their will. It's the, it is creepy shit that's going on and it's all well and good until you are the person in a psychiatric unit or you are the person like Britney Spears was, who's just one of many people that are forced into these situations in something called a conservatorship or a legal guardianship that grants one person, often a family member or someone appointed by the court. Sometimes in these situations, it's like someone's fucking music manager. They grant this person the authority to make decisions on behalf of an individual who's deemed, quote, unable to make those decisions independently, usually due to mental or physical incapacity. And this is supposedly to protect the well-being of these people. No, this is a fucking human rights violation. And now, finally, we are getting vindication here. It's being blatantly spelled out by the fucking World Health Organization and the United Nations as human rights violations. Next, quote, the international human rights framework requires a transformation in the way mental health services are provided. All people should be able to exercise their right to give free and informed consent to accept or reject treatment in mental health systems. Denial of legal capacity coercive practices and institutionalization must end. I just want you to really soak in some of this academic jargon. Sometimes we can just sweep past it, but this is huge. They are basically saying that psychiatry as an institution is involved in coercive practices and human rights violating institutionalization because they are in the name of for your own good. It's fucked, but the fact that they are calling this out makes my heart sing. So next, quote, legislation can foster a cultural shift 
that promotes social transformation in the realm of mental health, away from a narrow emphasis on biomedical approaches toward a more holistic and inclusive understanding of mental health. The article doesn't go into this, but I'm going to add my own little spice to this conversation because why not? What is a holistic and inclusive understanding of mental health and psychological wellness? What is that? Because I think a lot of people now, understandably, when they hear the word holistic, they're like, look, it's just a bunch of woo-woo shit. No, that's not what we're talking about. A holistic and inclusive approach would involve considering and addressing various interconnected factors that contribute to someone's well-being. So a few key aspects of a holistic and inclusive approach to mental health, which is not what we're doing now, what we're doing now is in psychiatry rather, is the biomedical approach. A holistic approach would include, yes, acknowledging biological factors, acknowledging the role of genetics, brain chemistry, and physical health and mental well-being, understanding that biological factors can influence mental health, and yes, might require medical interventions like medication. It's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's not saying we don't even think about biology at all. That's not true. But a truly holistic and inclusive approach includes biological factors, but also psychological factors. What does that mean? Recognizing the importance of individual thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. This includes understanding cognitive patterns, coping mechanisms, and emotional regulation. Then, social factors. Considering the impact of social environments, relationships, and support systems on our mental health. Recognizing the significance of our social connections, community, and cultural influences. Also, environmental factors. How are these environmental factors like living conditions, work environments, and exposure to stressors, how are these impacting our mental health? A truly holistic approach also includes spiritual well-being and acknowledging the role of spirituality or a sense of purpose in mental health. This can involve considering our values, beliefs, and our connection to something greater than ourselves. Also, truly holistic approaches think about intersectionality recognizing and addressing the intersection of various identities and experiences like race gender sexual orientation and socioeconomic status an inclusive approach to mental health would take into account the diverse factors that contribute to someone's mental health also a holistic approach would think about prevention and wellness Focusing not only on just treating mental health issues when someone's in a crisis, but also thinking about preventative measures and promoting overall well-being. This can include lifestyle factors like exercise, nutrition, and stress management. And in my opinion, incorporating things like DBT skills or mindfulness and meditation programs in schools and even work environments. Cultural competence also comes into play when we're talking about a holistic approach. Being culturally sensitive and aware of diverse perspectives on mental health, understanding that cultural factors play a significant role in how mental health is perceived and addressed. Accessibility and inclusivity of services, ensuring that mental health services are accessible to everyone, regardless of background, and that they consider the unique needs of individuals with disabilities or different abilities. And lastly, a truly holistic and integrative approach 
different than the biomedical model that we are all subscribing to now or only have access to is empowerment and collaboration, encouraging people to actively participate in their own mental health journey. You heard this in all three voicemails that I played at the beginning of this episode. These people are no longer saying, well, I guess my personality is just disordered and I'm fucked. No, you heard they're taking an active role in their own hero's journey, their own individuation process. Empowerment and collaboration, it's promoting this collaboration between individuals, mental health professionals, and support networks. A truly holistic and inclusive approach to mental health recognizes the interconnectedness of various factors and strives to address the diverse needs of people in a way that is sensitive to their unique experiences and identities. And I think we can all agree that what psychiatry is offering up to us now in the form of the biomedical model, which basically just says, here, find out which disorder or dysfunction label you have. Here are the best medications for it. And here is like a blanket therapy that you can take, which helps you get your crazy emotions in check to be more palatable for society and get back to work, essentially. These new frameworks and this new guidance from these human rights organizations are saying, no, 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 not good enough. And we should all be saying not good enough. So Niall go on to write, in other words, Psychiatry's got it all wrong. How wrong? With the entirely benevolent aim of publicizing this important document, I emailed the editors of Australian and New Zealand Journal of Psychiatry to see if they would accept a paper on the guidelines. And the guidelines, by the way, are all this information. Basically, he emailed them. He sang and said, do you have any comment on this? Like, basically, look what the World Health Organization and the UN are saying about psychiatric practices. Like, do you have a comment? So Niall is essentially saying he offered to see if the editors of Australian and New Zealand Journal of Psychiatry would accept what's called a viewpoint. And according to their website, viewpoint articles are longer pieces, more than 3,000 words, that allow for personal perspectives and opinions on issues relevant to psychiatry practice and research. So unsurprisingly, 45 minutes later, after he reached out to the Australian and New Zealand Journal of Psychiatry, he received a response back from them, which essentially was like, no thanks. Psychiatry isn't going to want to look at this because why? It forces them to redo all their homework. Nobody wants to redo their homework. All right, everyone, we're going to take a quick break. Part of what allows me to continue making this podcast for you full time is the dynamically placed ads that you will hear now as well as the support of my premium submarines on patreon so now we're going to take a quick break similar to how you hear on youtube just a few ads i don't pick them so enjoy these ads or don't enjoy these ads but just know they help me keep doing this and making this stuff for free so quick break and we'll get right back into the episode When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So let's continue. Let's read more from this guidance from the World Health Organization and the UN. Chapter one describes the state of mental health legislation and gives the relevant international agreements pertaining to health and disability. It starts with the definition and they're defining mental health. So quote, mental health is a state of physical, mental, and emotional and social well-being determined by the interaction of the individual with society. Already, chapter one, page one, we see the sides shaping up for a cosmic brawl, and he's referring to the sides like psychiatry and the UN and the World Health Organization. Is mental disorder a genetic disturbance of brain function, or is it not? You can't have it both ways, although with their spurious biopsychosocial model and their eclectic psychiatry, they tried. The guidance continues, quote, the different ways of being, thinking, sensing, expressing, and making sense of the world are part of human diversity. There is no normal or right way to be. A failure to understand and respect these differences can lead to isolation and discrimination. Let that sink in. This is officially being said directly to the psychiatric establishment from the World Health Organization and the United Nations. They are saying there is no normal or right way to be. But this, all of the psychiatric labels, the Bible of diagnosis, the DSM and the ICD-10s, these are documents that have claimed to tell us that there is a right way to be, think, sense, express, and make sense of the world. There is not. And we've all been sold a lie. And they're calling it out. He continues by writing, this is a direct challenge to psychiatry's insatiable drive to medicalize the slightest deviation from normal, e.g. the relentless drive to diagnose ADHD. They then take up the issue of coercion and loss of freedom of choice, which are part of the fabric of psychiatry. Quote, mental health laws continue to assume the underlying correctness of coercive practices, which are deemed to be a legitimate form of, quote, patient management. Again, I want to unpack some of this stuff because, again, when we when we see some of these academic terms and it phrased in this way, we can sometimes sweep over the impact of these statements. Basically, what they're saying here is that psychiatry has put a lot of time, effort, and money into making the collective believe that these really human rights violating practices like incarceration and forced um, psychiatric care are correct and they are patient management. Do you hear the clinical disgusting nature of that term? Think about someone who has been maybe raped their entire life or they were sexually molested by their father. They ended up as a prostitute on the street and then they ended up homeless and giving blowjobs for $50 a pop doing drugs because they have to completely dissociate from the way that their life is. They've never had anyone to show them the way. And 
they find themselves locked up because maybe they stole something because they didn't want to have sex with someone else that day. And so they walked into a store and stole something so that they could sell to buy more drugs to help dissociate from the traumatic horror that is living, living inside of their mind. And this person ends up not in jail, but incarcerated in a psychiatric institution because they're so strung out on trauma and drugs and they don't want the drugs. And so they are forcibly held down by a huge burly psychiatric worker and forcibly injected with medication and yet again being raped in another way, traumatized in another way, and them resisting their treatment then makes them treatment resistant. And they are labeled with a personality disorder diagnosis. How is this right? This is what psychiatry calls patient management, when in reality, they are human rights violations. And this shit is happening every single day. So going back to this article, he writes, you know, these coercive and harmful practices are a form of, quote, patient management, solitary confinement, restraint, and shackling are mentioned, in particular with respect to minority and marginalized subcommunities who, quote, are often denied the few protections mental health legislation may provide for. Box 2, page 15, sets out, quote, the case against coercion. Box 3, Page 19 lists, quote, CRPD provisions for a rights-based approach to mental health, including legal capacity, liberty and security of person, free and informed consent, living independently, inclusion in the community, and access to justice. Manifestly, these rights, established by treaty, are routinely breached by psychiatry. In fact, current psychiatric practice is the polar opposite of these principles. All these sins are laid before the plinth of what they call the quote, biomedical model, for which years I've been saying, this is what Niall is writing, I've been saying doesn't exist and I tend to agree with him. So the biomedical model is defined in the glossary of these new guidelines from the UN and the World Health Organization and it is defined as follows. The biomedical model of mental health is based on the concept of mental health conditions being caused by neurobiological factors. As a result, care often focuses on diagnosis, medication, and symptom reduction, rather than considering the full range of social and environmental factors, and may not address the root causes of distress and trauma. He goes on to write, despite its central role as the fount of all things bad in psychiatry, There's only one reference to this fabled entity, and by this fabled entity, he's talking about the biomedical model, to a paper by Brett Deacon from 2013. Quickly, I found my copy and rechecked it in case I'd missed something. No, I was right. There's nothing in that paper that says such a model actually exists. It remains the case that no psychiatrist or neuroscientist or philosopher or psychologist has ever written anything that would amount to a reductionist model of mental disorder. Sure, there are heaps of people who believe that all mental disorder is a biological disease of the brain, but believing is not the same thing as proving. They may believe it, but if philosopher Daniel Stoljar is right, and he usually is, they're wasting their breath. There will never be a physical account 
or proof of the idea of the quote-unquote mental disorder. In place of the shadowy biomedical model, this new guidance by the World Health Organization and the UN proposes a human-centered, rights-based, community-based, and accountable psychiatry. The other two chapters are a minutely detailed exposition of how mental health acts should be written and tested for compliance with the CRPD and other eight relevant treaties in order to achieve this far-reaching goal. So basically, he's saying that in this publication, these new guidelines, it leads inevitably to two conclusions. He writes, number one, psychiatry is routinely, systematically breaking every internationally sanctioned law and treaty on human rights entirely without scientific warrant or proof. And two, psychiatrists apart, the world is moving away from the idea that when dealing with the mentally troubled, forms and standards of management from a hundred years ago are just fine. In other words, collectively we're waking up and we are seeing these are cruel and harmful practices with no scientific evidence behind them. And it's making a lot of people a lot of money. And also when we're dealing with people who are suffering psychologically, no longer can we rely on outdated modes of thinking and not only outdated, but as we've seen, incredibly harmful. So he continues by writing, this is the dilemma. According to the preeminent health and rights bodies in the world, psychiatry has to change. How much? This much. So he writes another quote from these papers. So this is another quote from the World Health Organization slash UN. Quote, denial of legal capacity, coercive practices, and institutionalization must end. That's pretty, pretty firm, right? This must end. Enough is enough, they're saying. Niall continues by writing, so far nobody has told the psychiatrists, and as my little interchange with the editors showed, they're not particularly interested. However, knowing psychiatrists, they will fight tooth and nail to resist change. And so, the irresistible force meets the immovable object. Psychiatry's goal as we know too well, is to medicalize everything that they can get their hands on. Anybody who doesn't like this is obviously anti-psychiatry, not to mention dangerous, biased, extremist, and a tool of Scientologists. While the UN bodies will do the right thing, consulting widely and slowly building their case, we know that at the slightest hint of a threat, the psychiatry and drug company axis will run squealing to their friends in government to drop a very large hammer on the upstarts. There's no doubt that mainstream psychiatry worldwide will have a collective fit when they see what non-psychiatrists have planned for them. There's also no doubt that moving to the model of practice envisaged in these new guidelines will require wrenching change in psychiatry. For a start, Every single national training program in psychiatry would have to be written in its entirety, but the biggest resistance will come from the attitudes and belief systems of the establishment itself. Change of this nature would take years and years to put into practice. In fact, many of the older crew wouldn't be able to adjust and would have to be dropped off at the old folks' home. But we can be sure of one thing, given its record, institutional psychiatry will not give in with good grace. I mean, look at the journal editors. They don't want to look at any of this information. 
they don't realize that the guidance from the World Health Organization and the UN, as issued recently, is a gun pointing at psychiatry's collective head. It's not an encouraging start. So, shit's getting real, basically. And as I mentioned before, you're not going to be seeing this in the mainstream news. They're not going to be talking about it, but it will start trickling into the collective consciousness soon because, as you can see, these big organizations are going to be like locking horns with the psychiatric establishment and we're going to watch it all play out. But as with a lot of things, and I think many of you know this who are listening, there seems to be a collective awakening and I'm not talking about we're awakening. I'm talking about we're waking up to the bullshit. We are waking up to the harmful practices and beliefs that have been forced upon us and been paraded in front of us as if it were quote-unquote science and proven by peer-reviewed studies when there's rot to the very core at many of the academic institutions across the world, in pharmaceutical companies, in these organizations, the DSM task force, I could go on, but there's corruption and rot at the very, very core And as I've said before on many of my other podcasts, this is not to throw psychiatry in the trash, but it needs to get with the program. It needs to be shaken up. And there are many within the establishment that want this change too. It's not like every single psychiatrist is this evil boogeyman. But I have to say, as someone who follows all of this stuff very, very closely, as I say, this is my Super Bowl. I spend my time obsessively following psychiatrists and therapists and philosophers and all sorts of different people and psychiatric harm survivors on Twitter mainly because that's where a lot of really good information that I can find. And after observing for the last year and a half, what I've seen is a few things. First and foremost, the people that were really angry about the pivot of my podcast from being about recovering from quote-unquote BPD, the anger that I felt initially is now transforming into people coming to my podcast and saying, hey, I think you are onto something. And I'm by no means did I create the critical psychiatry movement, but what I did was start to speak out against psychiatry, start to speak out more prominently against these disorder and dysfunction labels because believing that I had a disordered personality did nothing for my recovery. It was not empowering. And as I've also said before, even having the privilege to wear your diagnostic label as a badge of empowerment, that's a privilege in itself. Some people are labeled with these disorder labels and it's against their consent they have no idea of the ramifications that they'll face and the people that are suffering most with these labels are not the privileged people who are putting their five different psychiatric disorder labels in the bio of their instagram handle and sharing the next cbt dbt infographic the people that are being harmed most by these labels are the most underprivileged among us the most vulnerable among us And that's who we should be fighting for. And also, we don't know if we would end up in one of these psychiatric institutions, if our family member would end up there. And then all of a sudden, this shit starts to get a lot more real. I've also witnessed on Twitter or X, I still can't get used to calling it that, so my bad. There is so much shaming and just scapegoating going on about anyone who 
dares to come out against the psychiatric establishment and talking about the harms that they faced from psychiatric drugs or even just harmful practices or these different labels. And it's kind of ridiculous. The amount of psychiatrists that I've witnessed, psychiatrists, these are people that are supposed to be like unbiased, helping people with their mental health. And they are literally acting like teenage girls online shaming and scapegoating and calling people out and it is just shocking and it just goes to show that they are not wanting to change the way that they think about things they're digging their heels in and saying oh you know don't listen to these critical psychiatry people they're crazy it's a whole nother witch hunt situation watch how these things play out watch why people are so upset because they don't want to redo their homework they don't want to have to completely rethink about the way that we think about the world. And I'm timing to get a little even metaphysical with this. We're seeing this play out in UFO disclosure stuff, right? We're watching David Grush this summer. In the time of recording, this is November 2023. But this summer, around July 2023, we had a man testifying in front of Congress saying that there are shady-ass operations in the U.S. government covering up more information about non-human intelligence and the fact that we might not be alone in the universe there is something called ontological shock when we experience ontological shock this term refers to a profound disruption or disturbance in one's understanding of reality often stemming from the revelation of information or experiences that challenge fundamental assumptions about the nature of existence so when we're talking about for example in the context of UFO, you know, or NHI, which is what they're calling it now. It's also very important to start seeing the shifting discourse around this. They're now not calling things UFOs. They're calling them UAPs and they're not saying aliens. They're saying NHI, which is non-human intelligence. So in the context of these disclosures around NHI, ontological shock is used to describe the potential psychological impact on individuals or society when we're confronted with the idea that non-human entities might exist and have interacted with humans. The disclosure of UFO or NHI encounters might challenge people's long-held beliefs about humanity's uniqueness in the universe, the nature of consciousness, and the boundaries of what's considered normal or real. You can see why I'm tying this together. Because collectively, we have to understand what ontological shock is and be prepared to expand our minds. In my opinion, there is nothing more important for every single human on earth right now, especially with the changing narratives and the collective awakening that I truly believe that we're experiencing, than to one, develop your critical thinking capacity, have a lot of skepticism about things, do a lot of your own research, and also just get ready to change the way that you view the world and try your best not to dig your heels in and be ostrich with your head in the sand and say, this is the way it is. Because quite frankly, we don't know anything about human consciousness, the human personality. We know so, so little. So when we're talking, you know, using this example about non-human intelligence and when we're seeing things about UFO disclosure, we have to think about more and more information coming out about this from skepticism and disbelief to awe and wonder. We are going to grapple with questions about the nature of reality, 
the existence, potential existence of intelligent life beyond earth and the implications of that for our identity and purpose as human beings living on this planet earth together. So already we are going to be forced to think about, integrate the potential psychological and philosophical challenges that might arise in the face of this paradigm shifting information about the nature of our existence and our place in the cosmos. That's huge. That's happening right now. And so we need to be thinking this way as well when we're thinking about our own growth, our capacity for change, and whether or not it makes sense to be subscribing to the psychiatric biomedical model so tightly anymore. And I don't know anyone that's actually talking about these two things together. And that's part of the reason why I am having Chris and Ryan Bledsoe on my podcast. I'm not quite sure when I'm going to be releasing this particular episode, so you might hear their interview before or after. But these are two people, a family, the Bledsoe family, have experienced some of this NHI phenomena. They just call it the phenomena. They're being investigated by every three-letter agency in existence because they have witnessed orbs in the sky, and Chris continues to witness this every single day, and he's being studied to the point where the History Channel went to his property and interviewed him and proved what he was going through through scientific measures. You can look that up on your own if you'd like to. Zaz, my husband, and myself visited their property ourselves and witnessed this phenomenon ourselves. I witnessed it with my own eyes. We need to start dramatically changing the way we think about human consciousness and our personalities and our ability to heal and transform and get ready to change the way you think about things. And so, yeah, the way that we have viewed mental health, psychological distress, and utilizing these human rights violating methods of quote-unquote patient management from a hundred years ago that are no longer working clearly, it's time for something new. It's time for a new paradigm. And I want listeners of my podcast and people who subscribe to my work to be the people on the forefront of this that are ready. And I'm proud of all my listeners, so incredibly proud of all of you because you're doing the work, the hard work, the work with no invisible finish line of cured at the end. It is, as I said in the intro, and I say in every intro, this is a journey of individuation, of eternal unfolding. And it's time that we reconnect with our childlike wonder, our curiosity, and not being too tied down in any one way of thinking and to really start understanding there is no normal way to be. There is no normal. There is no right. It's just being. So I hope you've enjoyed this rant slash deep dive slash important news announcement, quite frankly, about how shit is going down. And you are some of the first to hear about this because as I mentioned, this isn't going to be spoken about in the mainstream and not a lot of people have the patience to listen to a two hour, 11 minute hearing that they've uploaded on YouTube. But if you do and you want to see 
this actually play out, I'm going to be linking it in the episode description so that you can watch it if you'd like to, because I think that'll feel pretty validating. And I'll also link to this article by Niall McLaren. Thank you to him for putting this together and doing such an incredible synthesis of these guidelines. I highly recommend if you're interested in this kind of information and you want to get the newest updates to critical psychiatry and all the amazing work that Madden America is doing, just go to maddenamerica.com and subscribe to their newsletter. I am not sponsored or affiliated with Madden America in any way at the time of recording. I have emailed them before and said how much I love their work and asked if I could help in any way, but I never received a response back. So maybe in the future, I'll work with them. I'd be happy to, but this, at least right now, at the time of recording in November 2023, this is just a full-throated endorsement with no kickback for me of what they're doing because they are really, really doing this and they put me to shame. They've been doing this for years and I have only been really diving into the world of critical psychiatry, I'd say, for the last couple of years now. And this publication has been putting in the work. They amplify the voices of people with lived experience. And it's just fantastic what they're doing. So highly recommend subscribing to their newsletter updates if this is the kind of info that you want to get right away to your inbox, because this is how I also found out about this article myself. If you're listening to this and you are new to the podcast and you are kind of going, poo, 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 poo. My, my mind is blown right now. Holy shit. I didn't know about any of this. That's okay. Definitely don't feel shame because this is these myths and these ways of viewing psychological distress and emotional suffering have been force fed into us since the 90s when we were looking at that little Zoloft commercial and they're like, are you depressed? Just take this pill you have a chemical imbalance. The only side effects are rectal bleeding, death, da 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 da, da. You know what I mean? Like, we have grown up <laughs> with this stuff just force-fed into our throats. And everyone, even though almost every psychiatrist will tell you, oh yeah, the chemical imbalance theory, that's just a myth. Nobody actually believes that. Yeah, fucking right. Because lots of people still believe that. Because it was propaganda fed to us for decades. So, don't feel bad. Just educate yourself and you are now awakened. You are learning this new information and it's up to you to know what to do about it. We're not going to be able to completely do away with psychiatry. It's going to take decades at the minimum to unravel all of the fuckery that's been going on with this establishment, the psychiatric establishment. But now what we can do is inform ourselves and do our best to advocate for ourselves and for the people we love and to also spread this information, share this episode with someone that you care about, that you want them to know what's going on. Um, watch this two hour long thing that I'm going to put in the show notes. If you really want to see the World Health Organization and the UN discussing this in real time, I highly recommend listening to my toxic shame series. It's an eight part series. Um, where I really dive into generational trauma, dysfunctional family systems, toxic shame, religious trauma. Also highly recommend my mother and father wound episodes, which really, they're not parent blaming, but they do help you understand how the environment that you were raised in really made an impact on how you view this, the world and how our parents were raised. And it really all just starts to make sense. 
and click into place. I recommend that you look into somatic experiencing, trauma-informed models of care, neurosomatic intelligence, the mind-body and mind-brain-body connection. I recommend that you start diving into mindfulness and grounding practices. I recommend that you get yourself tested for any nutritional deficiencies because There have been a lot of really incredible research lately that ties some of our most debilitating mental health symptoms that we feel to nutritional deficiencies. And a lot of integrative uh, medical doctors will help you screen for some of these deficiencies. And maybe this is something that can help you. These are some things that have helped me. Also diving into depth psychology and myth and mysticism of my own choosing has also helped me find my place as a small part of something much bigger than me. All of these have been incredibly helpful ways that I have fought my way out of believing that I was broken, disordered, or dysfunctional. I've also written at length on my Substack about my experience being groomed by older men online as a young millennial in the early 2000s and the way that women were portrayed in the media and going on to be completely the continuation of sexual uh, abuse and sexual harassment in workplaces and the impact this has on our minds too. So all of this collective soup that we've been swimming in, it makes perfect sense that our mental health is worse than it's ever been. But there are ways to start pulling yourself out of this. It's not a quick fix. It's a journey of a lifetime, but there are ways to start working your way out of this. And I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. I'm not saying what works for me will work for you, but the best I can do is shine a light on the corruption of these establishments and share what I've done. And most of what I've done has been free of charge. It hasn't, I am not somebody who has a lot of money. I've used mostly free resources to work my way out of all of this stuff so it is possible and if you're new here you have a bunch of my episodes where i share all of my different resources with you too so keep listening keep binging my work also go out and find your own information and don't lose hope but let's together start developing more critical thinking questioning what's being told to us and prepare to really change the way that we view about human consciousness and what's normal or real because i think we're going to have to do a lot of opening of our minds in the next two to ten years and i want my listeners to be prepared for that all right everyone that's it for this week's episode I'd like to offer a last minute shout out to one of the Back from the Borderline sponsors, Pure Spectrum CBD. Long-term listeners know that I don't work with just any company. I have turned down good sponsorship opportunities. Cough, cough, better help. (laughs) So I'm not afraid to turn people down that don't align with my values. So one of my premium subscribers, Madison, shout out Madison, works for Pure Spectrum, and I had the opportunity to test out some of their products myself. They are a family-owned business out of Evergreen, Colorado, and partner with the CrossFit Games and other athletic organizations that are really prominent. You can look up about Pure Spectrum CBD. They're the real deal. 
A lot of their products are incredibly helpful for me, particularly their nighttime CBD and CBN tincture. It's really revolutionized my ability to stay asleep, especially because during the luteal phase of my menstrual cycle, I basically just get insomnia and a shit ton of back pain. And their CBD cream, as well as their CBD CBN night tincture, has changed my life genuinely when it comes to my menstrual cycle. Because when I get insomnia around my period, it's like sleeping is impossible. And if you're anything like me, three or four nights of really bad sleep make for collapsing mental health and then you are just not a fun person to be around for yourself or other people so i believe in this company i believe in their mission i believe in what they're doing they are top quality and if you like cbd and if this is part of something that you would like to explore obviously if you are taking medications and you want to check out if there's anything that could go awry there totally consult with your doctor or medical professional first but it's worked amazing for me not everything that will work for me will work for you but shout out this amazing company pure spectrum and all you have to do is go to my website backfromtheborderline.com and click the link there at the very bottom that will take you to pure spectrum and you will get a discount off of your first order If you'd like to unlock ad-free episodes of Back From The Borderline, as well as hundreds of hours, I'm not kidding you, hundreds, of bonus content, you can sign up to be a premium submarine via my Patreon. This also really helps me as well in terms of being able to continue increasing the production quality of my podcast and doing this full-time for you. You can sign up at patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline or also find that from my website as well. And... Premium submarines also gain access to the exclusive Discord community, so if you wanted to connect with and chat with other listeners that are also on this recovery journey, you can do that too. Another way to support my work is sharing this podcast with someone you love or following me on Instagram at backfromtheborderline. So thank you for being here with me. I love you lots. I drop episodes every Tuesday for the public feed and two episodes for my premium subscribers so if you never want to miss a new episode make sure that you follow back from the borderline on your favorite podcast app but that's it from me for today and don't forget anyone even you can come back from the borderline see you next time hold up What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back From The Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.